Uh, back um, at the end of January, we delivered our annual message about the state of the church and our vision for 2020. Kind of a joke, wasn't it? <laughs> Boy, have things changed since then. You know, we, we had no idea what lay ahead for our church or and actually the world around us completely. But praise God, He knew. He knew exactly what was going to happen. If I could sum up what we believed that God was leading us to at that time, it could be summed up probably in two statements. We're better together. And we need to be invested in one another, in our community, in the church. This new reality that we live in today and this, this break from doing church as usual has actually spurred Pastor Mark and I to, to think about what is truly essential. We began with this question, what is essential for us to do church? And as we prayed through that, as we walked through that, as we explored that idea and the things that came to our minds, Scripture, we realized we were asking the wrong question. The question we should have been asking is, what is essential for us to be the church? See, it is in being the church that we'll find our doing in the church. And it will be defined for us. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 and 42 in the New Living Translation says this, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. I asked Pastor Mark the other day, I wonder what would happen if we had 300 join. We'd have a heart attack. Y'all would be going to work big time. <laughs> it says that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. This section of Scripture in the New Living Translation is captioned, The Believers Form a Community. Church didn't exist. They were the church. What they were going to come together and do was as God led the apostles. This first group of disciples that would become this first church believed that there were a few essentials necessary for them to be the church. These things were to be practiced regularly when they gathered together corporately. That's important, folks, that you understand that they gathered together corporately, intentionally. In fact, the Bible says they gathered together daily from house to house. And in the corporate worship place. I like it. Amen. As we discuss the church this morning, we're going to use one of the analogies that Paul used of the church in the book of Ephesus. He talked about it as being a building. Unfortunately, we've bought into this idea that this is the church. 
But when you read the scripture, when he talks about the building, it's not this. It's this. Ephesians 2.19 says, So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints. You're a fellow citizen with the saints today. And members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. You ever seen a cornerstone in a building like an old bank? Or some of the, the, the big time buildings, they'll put the cornerstone up and then engrave it. Tell you when it was built, maybe who erected it. If we had a cornerstone in this building, it'd be right out front and it would say, Jesus Christ, established. And then it would have all the dates, the days that we got born again. Or maybe it would have the date in eternity past that doesn't have a date when he wrote us down in the Lamb's book of life. goes on to say in verse 22, the whole building being put together by Him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So this is a guide. Let's begin to build our church. Let's look at what we believe God has designed for us from Scripture. Very first thing any building has to have is a foundation. Every building has to be built on a strong foundation if it's going to stand. Our foundation is and always will be the Word of God. Without the Word of God, there's no reason for us to meet. We have no, no, no foundation. We have nothing to, to move on. I loved what Jamie said. She didn't know this was the first point of my message, but I love what she said this morning about Scripture being sure as a foundation. And it's not our emotions that we work off of. It is the Word of God that we work off of. If you work off of your emotions, you're going to be all over the place. Anybody had a tough day this week? Anybody been frustrated this week? Anybody want to give up some this week? Yeah, me too. But I don't work off of that. That's just fleeting emotions. That's human behavior. My foundation is set on the Word of God. My foundation is set in what God has said. Everything we do, everything we stand for, everything we strive for must be defined by Scripture. Acts 2.41, the Scripture says that they, that first church, believed what Peter said. What was it that Peter said? What was he preaching in the previous verses of chapter number 2? I want you to go back and read that this afternoon sometime. But let me just give you a highlight for that. Peter was explaining the truth of salvation through Christ as defined in Scripture. He was telling them who Jesus was. As defined by Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had not been written. He was defining for them what the Old Testament said about who Jesus the Messiah was. He actually quotes from Joel and Psalms. I bet some of y'all had a heart attack this morning. You didn't know Zephaniah was in the Bible, did you? Listen, he quoted from the Old Testament, talking about who Jesus the Messiah was. God's Word must be our foundation, because it is the only foundation built 
completely on God's plan. Watch this. We're having, there he goes. 66 books, dozens of authors, a holy canon thousands of years in the making. Consider the works, accounts of history and law, prophecy and poetry, verses of wisdom and letters from friends. Now, look again. What do you see? Behind the fallen creation, where the first son, Adam, led all humanity astray, there is the faithful son, a new Adam, who fulfills the promise and crushes the serpent's head. In the waters of the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there is a greater vessel by which all God's children are saved. On the altar of desperation, just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Comes the answer from the wilderness, behold the lamb. For a thirsty people, just as Moses struck the rock in the wilderness, there is a rock whose living water satisfies forever. In the battle against Goliath, where an unlikely king became a champion for his people, we see the shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In the long exile of a people, Isaiah's eyes were opened to a vision of salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the promised land. Until finally, in humble manger lay the hope of the world, the king who reigns from a throne of straw to Calvary's cross to the deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story casts his shadow. Every word, every verse bears his testimony. The Holy Messiah, Jesus Christ, eternal King. This verse. Every part of the entire Word of God leads us to one person, Jesus Christ, the living Word. That is our foundation. That is all we have to stand on. But with that, that is everything. We have everything to stand on. Nothing can shake a church that stands on the Word of God. 2 Peter chapter 1 says, First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, Men spoke from God as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. This isn't just some group of guys that got together and made up something and wrote something. Over the course of thousands of years, 66 authors wrote about one man who was not born and yet was alive before he was born for all eternity. This book is not our idea. It is God's Word delivered to mankind so that we can know what God is like and so that we can follow Him to complete the fulfillment of His plan, not our plan, not your plan. 2 Timothy 3 says, As you know from childhood, you have known the sacred Scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God as profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not the man of God standing in a pulpit, but the person of God that has been redeemed by the blood of Christ. 
The foundation is the Word of God. But once the foundation is laid, there's got to be more. You got to do something with the foundation. If all you got is a foundation, you ain't got much. Once the foundation is laid, we must erect pillars that will sustain our church. Our first pillar is found in the in, in what the writers called the apostles' teaching. Verse 40 of Acts 2 said that Peter warned them with many other words. Peter preached. He expounded upon the Scripture. He argued for the truth of God's Word. He didn't do this because he felt he needed to build himself up or to explain God. He did it to try to speak into the lives of those that were listening. He did it because God had gifted him and called him. Ephesians 4 said that he, God, personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why would he put people to lead and to teach and to build up? Why? Because he gave so that there would be training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. We're measured by Christ and we're being drawn into that picture and one day we will look like that. Then, and only then, will we no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Why did God give people to teach, to train? He said, for training up of the saints in the work of the ministry. Guess what, folks? If the church is going to be the church, we're to train you to do the work. We're not to go do the work. We're to train you to do the work of the ministry. We're to build up the body of Christ. We're to strengthen you so you can do the work. That's the calling of a pastor, of a teacher. The reality is that whether you like, the reality is what you like, what you follow after is what you will be. It doesn't matter if it's God your own human desires of life, or what the world lays out around us as what we should follow. What you follow is what you will become. Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone or something, as an obedient slave, you are slaves to the one you obey, either of sin leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. The question is, what are you offering yourself up to in life? Well, I'm saved. I go to church pretty much, you know, two or three times a month. Maybe every week. Maybe every time the door's open. But if you're just offering yourself up to gathering with us for an hour or so, three or four times a week, you're not offering yourself up to Jesus. God wants more of us. God is a jealous God. At this point, I'm going to turn things over to Pastor Mark for a few minutes. I'm going to let him lay out the rest of the pillars that the church must stand upon. I think our, our next pillar right beside the Apostles' teaching has got to be fellowship. If we are truly believing that we are better together, if we are invested at all in what Scripture says, then we've got to take fellowship very seriously. 
Now, 60% of Americans surveyed, 60% of Americans in the workforce who were surveyed admitted that they frequently feel like they are left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. In other words, 60% of Americans who work claim to be lonely. Those numbers go up when we begin to look at retired people. Those numbers go up when we begin to look at adolescents or people that are not yet in the workforce. So more than 60% of us claim to be lonely. Those, those numbers were taken on a survey right at the end of 2019, published at the beginning of 2020, before we found ourselves in the middle of a pandemic that changed things. So I don't think it takes a lot of imagination to think that maybe those numbers got even worse during the pandemic due to social distancing. People that were in the workforce feeling lonely, and now they're working from home where they're even less connected to other people. They go to the store where, where we've got on masks and we're staying distant from people, and they're even less connected than they were. Loneliness is a real problem, and I think fellowship is the biblical solution to that. You know, we ironically, we live in the most connected society on the planet at the time in history where it is the most connected. And we've got the greatest numbers of loneliness that we've ever recorded. Because that means our connections, all these connections we make, are surface level. They're shallow. They're not real. And Scripture lays out this idea of fellowship as an antidote to that. So we've got to get past the idea that fellowship is just kind of a good name for a church. We've got to get past the idea that fellowship can really occur once every couple of months when we get together and have a potluck meal. We've got to take serious the idea that fellowship means life and that we've got to do life together and we've got to spend life together. We've got to invest in each other. That means that we celebrate as a church family when life is good. And when somebody comes in the door on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening or Tuesday morning and they've got great news that we rally around and we celebrate. That means when we come together, we look for those things to celebrate. If I were to ask you this morning, what great thing has God done in your life this week? Some of you would have some really great answers. Some of you would, would give kind of a blank look and you'd have to stop and think about it. And that's fine because we all have those weeks once in a while. But I promise you, if you look, God's done something great in your life this week. Or he's done something great in the life of somebody else and you've had a chance to see it. And we need to create this habit of celebrating that with each other. When you've had one of those weeks where you don't have a whole lot to celebrate, then maybe you can, can catch in a contagious way the enthusiasm and the excitement when somebody else comes through the door and they're cheering and they're excited. We can celebrate together, and that is going to lift us all up. We've got to take serious the idea that if we invest in each other, if we are better together, then we walk together when life hurts. And, and I think the church does a great job of celebrating good stuff in life, but we don't always get a really good grade when it comes to walking together 
through pain. When there's serious pain, some, some sort of tragedy, we, we do okay with that as a church. We come to funerals. We show up and rally around people when they hurt. But those day-to-day hurts, because just like if I asked you what kind of great thing has God done in your life, what kind of hurt do you have this week? And maybe you're just on one of those great weeks and you'd really have to stop and think about what hurts. But you've probably got something there. And for several of us, we don't have to stop and think about what hurts. It's right there. We know what hurts. And we need to do a better job of investing in each other so we can walk through that pain together. That means two things. One, we have to be transparent with each other. And boy, that's hard, isn't it? Because you come in here and you want everybody to know that you're a Christian. And as a Christian, that means life is perfect and you've got everything together and you've got everything figured out and you don't have any pain, right? No, we know that that's not true. But don't we come in the door and fake that sometimes? How many of us this week, somebody has asked us how we're doing and we've said fine when that's a lie? Am I the only one that said fine at some point this week when things weren't fine? We have got to get transparent with each other. And that means that we all need to rise up. And when somebody comes in the door and says, I hurt right now, we need to press around them. In prayer, we need to press around them in love. That's not a a gossip opportunity. That's not an opportunity for you to give advice and kind of put on your your Dr. Phil mustache and kind of start speaking into their life of what they should be doing. That's your chance to love them and help them. Because if somebody shows up and they're going to be transparent enough and honest enough to say things aren't perfect and I hurt, they need to be met with love. Because if they're not met with love, they're not going to come back. We're going to drive them away from this place where they most need to be. Because if somebody came up to you in the middle of the week and said, I I really hurt, what do you think I should be doing? As I look around the room, I think every one of you is going to say, you need to come to church. Well, what happens when they come to church and they're not loved in that pain? We're hurting ourselves and we're hurting them and we're hurting God. We need to help carry each other's burdens. And and not just in an emotional way. What can we do to help? And this church does some amazing things in that area. I have stood in the pulpit before and I have explained how when my lawnmower won't work, my first call is Brother Charles because every time so far he's been able to fix it. Because he presses in and he helps carry that burden. And then when I try to pay him, it turns into an argument. He doesn't want any money. And when I try to to slip the money to somebody in his family, they always give me the same answer. (laughs) No, you want to give him money, you got to give it to him. I'm not having that fight with him. So you've got your family very well trained. You know, we, we do a good job of carrying each other's burdens, but maybe we could do a better job at that. Again... We've got to be transparent about what we need 
so that people can help us with that. But this, this ought to be one of those places that when somebody comes in the door and they hurt, we're like scrambling and fighting over who gets to help them. I mean, wouldn't that be a great testimony for this? I went through the door of Fresh Start Fellowship, and, and I was in pain, and I had some need, and, and they had a fight over who was going to help me. They, they, they all wanted to help me so much that they were arguing over who got to help me. What a great testimony that could be. We've got to encourage each other in our faith. It means we've got to sometimes ask each other some hard questions as we walk through life together. We sometimes have to, to say, how are you doing? And when somebody says fine and we suspect that's not true, maybe we, we overstep and press in a little bit and ask them some follow-up questions. Maybe we have hard conversations with each other because that's a part of fellowship. We need to get past the idea that fellowship is just when we, when we share a, a meal together. We've got a great opportunity coming up for not just real fellowship, but for that meal together. Next Sunday, we are having just one service at 10 a.m. Now, don't write this down forever and ever that we're going back to one service. We don't know yet. We would love to. We want to go back to one service. But we are keeping an eye on what's going on here in Keystone Heights with the, with the virus. We're keeping an eye on what's going on nationwide. And it's just we, we just don't know for sure yet. We are taking this one day a week just like everybody else, everywhere else. But next week, we are going to step out on faith. We are coming together one service at 10 a.m. And we are going to, we are going to share a meal together. We'll have details on that, on that later, but we are also going to have an opportunity for some real fellowship next week. We're not going to be in your business. It's not going to be a scary time where you got to have like a job interview about what's going on in your life. Just show up. We are going to worship, and we are going to be together, but it is going to be an opportunity for us to just, just love each other. And it's going to be an opportunity for us to say hello to the people at the 1030 service that we rarely get to see, an opportunity for them to say hello to us. They see me all the time, but they don't get to see you guys. So they're getting tired of looking at me. They want to see you guys. So it's going to be a good chance for us to be together, for us to start walking out this pillar of, of fellowship. Now, another thing they talked about in Acts was the sharing of meals and the Lord's Supper. And I love how they separate the idea that meals and the Lord's Supper were two different things. What do we do when we share a meal together? And this, this ties very heavily into fellowship, but we've given it its own pillar because we think it's important because we think this meal analogy, when you get together and share a meal with somebody, mostly you sit together, right? We don't usually stand when we eat. Usually when you share a meal with somebody, you visit with them. You spend a few minutes catching up. And when you're eating, you are consuming something together, right? Or maybe you're getting together and you're not having a meal, you're just, you're just getting together and having a cup of coffee or, or a cookie or an ice cream, and that doesn't count as a meal, but you're still consuming. What if Fresh Start Fellowship became a church where we made a point of sitting together? What if this church made its mission that nobody in Keystone Heights is going to sit alone. I work with young people and I work with teenagers, and I'm going to tell you, nothing breaks my heart like the idea of a teenager who spends the lunchtime sitting alone 
in a crowded school cafeteria. I challenged our youth group to make it a point that let nobody at school sit alone for lunch. And they have done a great job with that, befriending new kids, befriending kids that feel like they haven't had any kids. Well, what if we all take this challenge and, and make it this idea that nobody's going to sit alone? Well, that's hard when we social distance during a pandemic. I'm not talking about getting rid of, of health and safety rules. But what if we just try to do better at reaching each other and helping people fight that, that idea that they're disconnected and that they're lonely? And, and maybe that means we have to invite them to church. Maybe that means we have to forge some new relationships with coworkers and neighbors so that we can invite them. But what if our heart as a church was that nobody in Keystone Heights is going to sit alone? Doesn't that really put sharing our faith into, into more of a perspective of something real we can do? What if Fresh Start Fellowship became a church where church happens every day? I'm not talking about we come together every morning for a worship service, but what if church happens every day out there? My favorite way to do church, I love when we gather together on Sunday mornings, but my favorite way to do church is when a couple of us are gathered together doing something out in the community. Tuesday morning, it was about 190 degrees outside and super humid, and Pastor Steve and, and young man back there, Levi, and I, we got together and had a little bit of church because several churches got together at the Anglican church across the street from the high school, and we were passing out coffee and donuts and juice to parents who were dropping their kids off at school. Well, what, a, what a fun outreach, but just what a great chance to just be together and fellowship together and laugh and smile and sweat and wonder why it is we choose to do ministry in Florida. But what a great morning that was. I love when church happens out there because it's real. What if we made a point to have church seven days a week? And Sunday is just when we get together and talk about the other six days that we did church out there. What if Fresh Start Fellowship becomes a church where we make a point that we consume together. Not just food, but there's nothing wrong with getting together and sharing a meal or sharing a cup of coffee. I mean, you could tell by looking at me. I, I love that idea. But what if we made a point of, of getting together to consume music and television and, and sporting events? What if we just made a point that we're going to get together and we're going to socialize? Not to exclude the outside world because we want to reach them. But what if we just spend time together outside of these walls building each other up? and encouraging each other, and just getting together without any agenda other than we're just going to be together and hang out. Because doesn't God move when we get together? I mean, how often have you left Lamb and just felt so encouraged like you just had church? When we get together and we serve other people, that's when God shows up. We've had communion several times over the last several weeks. And, and hopefully in all the different ways that we've celebrated it, it has given each of us a chance to just kind of look at it from a different perspective, from a different angle, all those different ways. What does that mean? Because when we have the Lord's Supper together, we are really celebrating the pain that Jesus went through as he sacrificed his life. And I know that sounds very weird that we get together and we celebrate pain. 
But maybe that's one of the things that ought to separate us from the world. As Christians, we get together and we celebrate the fact that somebody died in immense pain for us. And so we take the Lord's Supper and we turn it from religious ritual. And there's nothing wrong with a ritual. Rituals are very comforting. But we turn it from religious ritual into a celebration and a statement about our life and a challenge about how we want to change. So meals and and communion are are certainly that, that third pillar. And that fourth one, maybe the most important one, is prayer. I spent four years in the Army, and one of the things that they teach you in the Army over and over again from day one is how important communication is. In fact, every unit has got a guy who's the communications expert. A lot of times that's a guy who's carrying the radio with him. And everybody has to learn how to work the radio because if something happens to the guy who knows how to work the radio, somebody else needs to step in and be able to do that. And communication is so important because that's how you get equipment that you need to where you are. That's how you get food and supplies. That's how you get reinforcements. That's how you get people to come and rescue you if you need to be rescued. Because you can't get rescued if they can't find you. That's how you get status updates about how the mission is going. Communication is so important, and and we often don't treat prayer like it's this constant communication with God. There are too many Christians in our culture that the only time they are in prayer is when they're in church and they bow their head because somebody up front is praying. There are so many Christians walking around that, that they want to be in prayer, but they just don't know how to pray. They haven't quite figured out how to, how to do that. And we feel like it's this great formal thing. And the most spiritual people I know will tell you, it's, it's not a formal thing because I just talk to God. But what if we begin to take prayer much more seriously here? It's not just something we do when somebody up front is praying. But what if it is a 24-7 opportunity for us to be in communication with God? We have an opportunity coming up that the pastor and I have felt led to for for several months now, and we've spent a lot of time in prayer about it, and and we are going to do it starting this Wednesday. I know it conflicts with with the Lamb Day, but starting this Wednesday and then every Wednesday after that, the pastor and I are going to be here from 11 in the morning until 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and that is reserved for a time of prayer. It's not going to be a time of fellowship. It's not going to be a time of getting together and drinking coffee and eating cookies. It is going to be a time of prayer. And if the pastor and I are the only ones here, then we are going to spend that two hours together praying. And we're going to read Scripture, or we're going to read Scripture silently. We're going to read Scripture out loud. We're going to pray out loud. We're going to pray silently. We are just going to be together, and we are going to be in prayer for this church, for you guys, for Keystone Heights, for our unsaved neighbors and our unsaved co-workers, for our community, for our nation for the world, for whatever is laid upon our heart to pray about, we're going to get together and we're going to pray, and and the door is open, and we would invite you to join us. Any Wednesday that you are able, between 11 and 1, and you don't have to stay for the whole time, although if you've got nothing to do, I can think of worse things you could do than spend two hours in prayer. But if you can just stop by for a few minutes, stop by for a few minutes. If you can just run through for three minutes then stop. 
and just spend three minutes in an atmosphere of prayer where we are coming to the Lord to spend time with Him. I would encourage you to be here if you can. If you can rearrange your schedule at all to get here, I would encourage you to get here. If you work locally in town and you can stop by even for three minutes, we would encourage you to be here for three minutes. Because three minutes in prayer is better than two minutes in prayer. But we want to start taking prayer much more seriously here. Because prayer is how we stay connected to God and prayer is what is going to tie all these pillars together. I'm going to turn this back over to the pastor. There he is. As he builds upon these pillars. You know, if you have a foundation and you have pillars or walls, but you have no covering, it just kind of leaves you exposed, doesn't it? And so as we close out our thought here today, to be a complete and strong structure, we believe that there's a covering that you may not have seen in this passage, but one that we believe that God intends to tie us all together with. It said in verse 42, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, meals together in communion, and prayer. We can have all the communion you want. We can do communion every day, three times a day. We can do, we can do all the Bible reading. We can... We can, we can structure ourselves so that we're preaching every single day we can have prayer every day for hours up at the church in this building but if the church hasn't devoted themselves to it it's never going to be a strong structure the key to 3,000 people being added was God's blessing. The key to God's blessing was that these people were devoted to what God had given them to do. If you and I will get devoted to Scripture, to the teaching of the Word of God, we've opened up Right Now Media for so many, for, for everybody in the church to be able to grab it and grab anything out of there you want. There's all kinds of teaching. And I would, I would just venture to say the truth of the matter is we haven't even scratched the surface. I would tell you right now that the majority of the people who are a part of our church have never opened it up. If we would get serious about fellowship, really getting involved with one another, Living out life together with sitting down and communicating and sharing meals and life. And the truth of the death, burial, and resurrection in communion and prayer together. This assembly, this building, would be built up and strengthened. And his name would go out into the community. The truth is that our church body will be what you pour into yourself and into the community structure we have. Nothing more.
I think God got it right at the end of January. We need to focus on two things. We're better together. And you must get invested for us to get this right. We're going to ask you to do something very special this morning. We, we haven't been doing uh, invitation times with the two services, but we're going to do a little different type of an invitation uh, this time. Miss Ann's going to be passing out something. When we have uh, our membership luncheons, uh, this is a lot of what we do. We sit down and talk about what the church is, what we expect of you, what you should expect of us. And we have a church commitment, a covenant that we ask members to sign, or people to sign if they want membership in our church. And I think maybe it'd be good, because some of y'all were already a part of the church before we started membership luncheons, and we haven't really done one in, in a while. We've got some folks that want to join the church, be official members of the church, be voting members and be able to be connected officially. We've got some folks that have been dating the church for a long time, but they've never made it official. We, we've got some folks that... that that have been a part of the foundation of this church, but maybe it would be a good thing for us to pray through and make another covenant with one another and with the Lord. And so we're passing this out. We want you to take it home and pray over it. Uh, if you're not comfortable with signing it right now, if you're one of those that you look at this and you say, you know what, put my name and date on it. I'm covenanting together with this body of believers. It says, I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, by refusing to gossip, by following our spiritual leadership. I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the unchurched to attend, by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will serve the ministry of my church by discovering my gifts and talents, by equipping myself to serve, by developing a servant's heart. I will support the testimony of my church by attending faithfully, by living a godly life, and by giving faithfully. Would you commit to covenant together with one another and with the Lord today? If you would, sign it and leave it. If, if you want to pray over it, you want to read the scriptures, take it home. Sign it when you feel like the Lord's leading you to. If you don't feel like you can sign this, come see me and let's sit down and talk about what, what your hang-up is with which one of these, and let's talk about what it is God wants for you.